Ladies and gentlemen, I know it has been a long time since you've heard this voice soothing your ear holes, but we are back. The formerly, more news on that, FFD 260 podcast. I am your host, Jared Forrest. You can find me on Twitter at the Dynasty Owl. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Leopold. You can find him on Twitter at Leopold NFL. Mark, we have not done a podcast together since October. That is mainly my fault, life getting in the way. What's going on? You know, sometimes life happens. I forgive you. <laughs> I hope the listeners will as well. But, yeah, it's really good to be back, man. We've got a lot of stuff coming up here in the NFL season. Even though it's the offseason, Dynasty players know there is really no offseason. So, no. you know, we got free agency. we got the combine coming up. we got the NFL draft, which is only a couple months away now. So, a lot of good, exciting stuff going on, even though there's no actual NFL football. Yeah, I mean, for the Dynasty community, you can make the argument that this is actually busier, a busier time than in season. Um, yeah. With all the... You know, you get your hardcore dynasty players like us who try to watch as much film as we can and really get our rookie evaluations. Plus, free agency is huge for us and trying to speculate where people are going to go. But uh, before we get onto that, um, we have some other news. And a lot of the listeners may have already seen this along Twitter or heard it uh, through the grapevine, but FFD 260 is merging and being absorbed by the gridiron experts. So what does that mean for our podcast? That means that we will be under the uh, new Gridiron Experts feed. We will still be doing the Dynasty podcast. So uh, Gridiron Experts was nice enough to uh, continue to let Mark and I uh, host our pod. Uh, All the news, anything that we write, uh, will be going on their website now. So no longer will you see any FFD or FF Dynasty 260 uh, plugs. It's all coming from Gridiron Experts. We have a lot of good content on the way. Um, hopefully the the pod will start to be weekly again, especially with uh, free agency coming up or uh, in less than a month now with the draft shortly after that. Obviously, we have the combine in there. So a lot of news to fill in. I'm happy to be a, a member of this team, uh, a member of the Gridiron Experts family. It's, it's a big name in the industry. So it's very exciting. Uh, Mark, you have anything to add to that? I mean, I think it's good news for everybody. You know, they didn't have as much of a dynasty presence as our site. So I think it's good for us that we'll get, you know, some some more resources through Gridiron Experts. We'll get the advice of some of their guys. They have a great staff over there. I think it's going to be good for them as well to get more dynasty content. So I'm really looking forward to it. You know, it'll be nice to kind of bounce some ideas off the other shows that they've got. I know we've already been talking with Anthony. So I think it's going to be good for everybody here. We're going to keep this feed uh, for the time being, at least until we straighten all that out. But uh, once we do that, we'll move it over. We'll just drop it right in the show notes. So anybody who's looking at this feed will be able to find it easily. So it should be a pretty smooth transition. But uh, just hope everyone will keep their eyes open for that. We'll try to make it as easy as possible for everybody. Yeah, and of course, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, we're going to be plugging it, uh, especially as as the switch happens, so so no one gets lost in translation. But uh, I think that's all out of the way. Uh, if you're listening to this, then you probably want us to get into the football talk. So uh, a quick rundown of what we're going to try to get through today. Uh, since it's been such a long time since we've done a pod together, we're going to do a little bit of a recap, I guess, of the 2018 season. Not so much newsworthy recaps or anything like that but more or less our overall impressions of this of the season as a whole uh maybe go over some lessons learned whether that be redraft uh dynasty i know the things that i have can kind of go in both uh categories there 
Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. And then we're not going to get into specific rookies yet. Um, I, we want to wait until after free agency to really tackle that when we have the combine metrics and, and we start to hear about teams uh, looking specifically at one player. So we're going to hold off on the rookie talk and we're going to focus on uh, how we evaluate the rookies, uh, followed by kind of going over where we think some of our uh, best landing spots for free agents are this year, um, going by position by position. I think that'll be it. It sounds like a, a pretty packed show. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. Mark, you ready? Let's do it. All right. So first off, overall impressions of 2018. I mean, it was fine. It, I don't think anything was super surprising. I think you can still make the argument. One of the things that I said was zero running back. I think it's still kind of alive. Uh, sure, you have your elite tier, but we saw with Damian Williams and CJ Anderson, like, you know, those were viable candidates down the stretch, especially, granted, you're not playing fantasy in the playoffs, maybe DFS, but C.J. Anderson was, you know, a monster because the girlie's mystery injury. Uh, so that, as far as I go, that was my um, biggest impression considering we were coming off of a couple of draft classes where we saw just monstrous running backs with the Zeeks, the Joe Mixons, the Dobbin Cooks, the Leonard Fournettes, you know, the Todd Gurley's, so on and so forth, and and zero running back is still kind of there. Do you agree, disagree? I think it's viable. I don't think it's optimal. You know, I think if you have a chance to get one of those elite running backs, we saw again this year that they gave a significant advantage. And the teams that I had that had the most success were teams where I had Saquon Barkley or Zeke Elliott or uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, even one with Melvin Gordon. You know, those kind of guys give such a big advantage over like a second or third round running back even that – it's, it's really a good idea to try to get one when you can. That being said, you know, if you were drafting at the back half of the first round this year and Melvin Gordon was off the board and you were able to pair, you know, Julio Jones and another wide receiver, Odell Beckham didn't really work out. But, you know, that was a popular pairing at the back end of the first round. Uh, or even Julio Jones and a running back like Dalvin Cook, even if he's not an elite tier, if you can get one of those high-end wide receivers, that's really the only time where I think you want to kind of punt the elite running backs because you just don't have the opportunity to get them. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's I kind of relate it to the tight end tier where there there's a there is a clear elite tier, and it, and if you have a chance to go for it, go for it. The injuries with running backs is you know that's the foundation of the zero running back strategy is that they're just unreliable and the guys that you mentioned were all you know healthy for the most part i know melvin gordon was kind of banged yeah. up but uh when he was on the field he, he was a monster and you know i everybody forgets joe mixon led the afc in rushing and like i i still think that he's gonna jump inside elite tier um we'll, we'll probably get into that in another episode but uh I, i'm for running backs i still think that uh, with the way first and second rounds are shaping up right now, you, you could be very creative with how you set a foundation for your team. Uh, but if you were to go to zero running back, I personally wouldn't fault you for that. I think you could really set up a monster tier and start up with, with a, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, if you, I don't know about Michael Thomas, I think both those guys are going in the first round at this point. Oh, but, for sure. But you know, um, Julio, Julio is finding himself in the front half of the second round on some startups. So maybe like uh, Michael Thomas, Julio start is, is pretty viable. Yeah. You can redraft leagues for next year. If we start in best ball early at this point, you can do that Julio Odell Beckham stack again. 
and Antonio Brown's going to be slipping probably till he lands and maybe depending on where he lands. So, you know, back after that first round, you can stack two of those receivers again this year, it looks like, at least at this point. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I know everybody was projecting Julio to kind of start that that downslope of his career, and that just didn't happen. And I am hesitant to say when it will, if it will. Uh, so he's definitely someone you want to keep targeting, especially in the uh, first half or the mid-second round. What's one of the overall impressions of 2018 that you want to share? Uh, I think – one of the interesting things was, and it's not really much of a surprise, but we saw an offensive resurgence a little bit. You know, offenses were really dominating the first half to two-thirds of the season. And then as the season went on, we saw that kind of wear off. We saw defenses start to step up. And some of that can be attributed to, you know, playing in colder weather, playing in snow and rain and that kind of thing. But that seems to be generally typical. And it still seemed like a lot of people were caught off guard by that, were surprised that the offenses were slowing down. So, I think that's just another takeaway is, you know, it's a good reminder that offenses typically will slow down over the course of the year. Defenses will start to figure things out uh, as they see new offensive looks, new formations, new game plans, that kind of thing. And, you know, one example was Jared Goff and the Sean McVay headset gimmick where they were calling audibles at the line of scrimmage before they cut off. You know, teams start to figure that kind of thing out. So defenses usually pick it up as the season goes on. And I still think we saw – a general pickup of the offense across the league. And, you know, it's good for fantasy that the elite fantasy performers, generally speaking, were pretty good this year. Uh, and as long as you avoided the landmine of Le'Veon Bell, you, you probably did okay in the first few rounds. There weren't too many real big misses other than that, except for a couple of injuries here and there. You know, you talked about Melvin Gordon was banged up, Odell Beckham was banged up, but really weren't too many guys that we drafted early and really just whiffed on because they stunk. So, I, I think it was a good year for fantasy overall. I, I absolutely agree. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've said it before that if you want some easy money and, and you're a big gambler, you bet the overs on the NFL games the first half of the season and you bet the unders the second <laughs> half of the season because that's, it, you're absolutely right where, you know, offensives have all offseason to scheme and to think of the next big new thing. And that's what we continue to see in the NFL. But – these defensive coordinators are not dumb and then they're geniuses and they're able to adapt, you know, and sometimes as soon as a half, uh, but especially if you give them a full first half of the season, they're going to adapt and they're going to slow you down. And I mean, there's no better example. You know, if you really want to do it on a specific level, just look at the Super Bowl, um, And you have probably one of the greatest defensive minds of all time, shutting down, you know, the, the child offense phenom and Sean McVay. But I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I think that we'll continue to see that. I think offenses, especially with the plethora of offensive minded coaches that are being hired now, I think offenses are going to continue to get creative. Um, but I think that defenses will be a step behind until they're not and they'll adapt and they'll slow them down come the second half of the year. And that's, uh, that's just what we have to expect at this point. But I, I do agree that overall, fantasy wise, it was it was a good season for fantasy players. We didn't we didn't experience much heartbreak. Yeah, actually, you know, one more thing I want to add on that though is the exception to that rule is really the quarterback position. I think it really enforced the late round quarterback strategy that's been pushed by a lot of people in the industries. That we saw a lot of the top end quarterbacks, specifically Aaron Rodgers, really kind of face plant this year, and. 
a lot of the top scorers at the position were guys that you could get pretty late in drafts. Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was even going pretty late. He did well for a good chunk of the season. Uh, so a lot of quarterbacks that finished high up and, you know, a lot of people mentioned stats about the Tampa Bay quarterbacks combined to be QB two or three or four or whatever it turned out to be. But yeah. for a while they were right up there. And so you can get a lot of those guys, you know, Fitzpatrick was off the waivers almost certainly. Winston was either a late round guy or off waivers probably. Matt Ryan was outside the QB one range, I'm sure. So a lot of those guys picked up pretty late in drafts, if not off the waiver wire, and they ended up carrying you to, to solid fantasy weeks and high end QB one performances you know, for yeah. the, for the course of the season. So, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point where uh, your QB tiers right now are Mahomes and then, you know, everybody else, but it's especially in redraft and, and, you know, we'll segue into our redraft strategy and, and lessons learned from this. Uh, if you're not going after Mahomes, I think that, yeah, you can wait because you're going to get someone like a Matt Ryan, who's going to, I believe he finished as a QB five this year. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but, you know, you wait, he almost, I would guarantee he was at least QB 15 or later and, and, and redrafts. Um, so you wait for that. You Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be drafted earlier than he should be. I think Winston, and I'm guilty of saying this every year, I think Winston's due for a very uh, big year this year, especially with Fitzpatrick gone as a free agent, Bruce Arians coming in. Uh, so Winston is someone that you could target late, but, uh, QBs are very volatile. It, it's it's tough to really predict who's going to be uh, the QB ones outside of the Patrick Mahomes tier now. But um, that's it's someone. I mean, I'm still targeting QBs very very late, and I'm not targeting Mahomes anywhere. But that's not shitting on Mahomes. That's no. just not my draft profile. I, I'm not going to take a QB early. That's I'm sorry. I'll let someone else do that, and I'll take my running back too or my tight end which is gonna go into my next lesson learned which is the elite tight ends i think are more of a game changer now than when we had the you know elite gronks and the aaron hernandez and the young kelseys because you look at the kelsey Ertz, kittle especially this year we're not even talking tight end premium we're just talking regular ppr Ertz and kelsey were both wide receiver ones Kittle, I believe, was in the top 15 or 16 if you combine them all. And if you're able to plug in, you know, a wide receiver one in your tight end position, that just puts you so far above the field that it's it's uh, it's just unfair. I mean, the next tight end in points after Kittle was Ebron, and I think that was kind of fluky um, with with the touchdowns. But after that is Jared Cook, Austin Hooper, Kyle Rudolph. Like the top three there are so elite that we have to start putting them higher in the redraft rankings. We have to talk about them as second round uh, guys. Neither of them should fall, I think, past the fourth. Um, and I, I know me and you had disagreed on Kittle. So you could go ahead and apologize for your take on that now. Uh, I'll accept it. But uh, I think that we have to start looking at those three tight ends as really uh, viable wide receiver one candidates. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because it's not long ago that Gronkowski was basically a back-end first-round pick in redraft leagues. Exactly. And so when you talk about the advantage he gave you over the position as recently as you know two or three years ago, 
that's pretty much about the advantage that you're going to be seeing with a guy like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle at this point. And I am sorry. I wasn't <laughs> saying George Kittle's bad or anything. I, yeah. I did not quite see the ceiling that he has reached at this point. And, you know, we'll see if the yak holds up. That's, that's the one thing I'm curious to see, but he's clearly, you know, top three startup tight end, if not the tight end one overall at this point. So he's definitely surpassed my expectations. No, yeah, that'd be a that'd be a great debate to see who tight end one is right now. Uh, I still have it as Kelsey. Um, I know he's uh, older than the other two. Uh, Kittle is younger by quite a quite a margin, but uh, I still think that Kelsey with the Mahomes and Andy Reid offense is is tight end one. But uh, and then if uh, if you don't have any redraft strategies, I got a dynasty. It's not really a lesson learned. It's just something that um, I need to kind of apologize for and that is i was very very low on deshaun watson coming into last season i thought that he would regress to a point where um he would not be a viable qb1 so i'm accepting the fact that he is but that leads me to kind of my dynasty lesson learned where deandre hopkins should be the 101 in dynasty startups and i don't think it's really close unless you make the argument with Saquon Barkley. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't put any wide receiver even close to Hopkins. I think his ability um, paired with a very good quarterback in Deshaun Watson, uh, it, it just puts him far out and above any other wide receiver in the league. Yeah, I mean, for me, the 101 is definitely Barkley. It's yeah. not close. I, Hopkins is definitely the number one receiver for me. That's not close. You know, I don't think – Thomas or Adams or OBJ or anybody's close to Hopkins at this point, but I definitely would be taking Barkley 101 overall. Are there any other running backs that you take above Hopkins? I would definitely consider Gurley and Zeke, and okay. that's that's probably about the extent of it. Not McCaffrey? No. I think McCaffrey, we've seen his ceiling. I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if we see him duplicate what he did this year just based on – his role on the team, you know, he's, he's never really going to be a 20 carry a game guy. So we'll see, you know, I think we saw his ceiling and I don't think we've seen the ceiling for Barkley as surprising as that might be. So would you say that McCaffrey is a good sell high candidate right now? Um, technically yes, but like I, I mean, said, you're when holding you have, him if you have him, right. When you have one of these elite running backs, whatever you're going to get in return, just the advantage that you get from having one of those guys, it's so hard to give up. You'd really have to get a treasure trove. And that's the case for me with Zeke, with Gurley, with Barkley, with any of these guys is, you know, I'd need to get a significant return above their market value to, to move from one of those guys, guys just because of the advantage they give at that roster spot. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but as far as really other lessons learned from this past season, I'm not trying to harp on it too much. I like to look ahead. Uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I mean, I think the only thing is that the redraft lessons are applicable to Dynasty because you can do things. Like when we say Matt Ryan is a late-round quarterback in redraft leagues, you can apply that to Dynasty because that means you could probably buy him in a single QB league for like a third or fourth-round pick. Absolutely. And then he's going to go out and give you, you know, top-half quarterback one production for the season. So. When we say that you know zero running back is viable, that means you can buy cheap running backs in Dynasty. 
you can buy cheap quarterbacks if the late round quarterback approach is good for the year, that kind of thing. So all these kind of redraft lessons are definitely applicable to dynasty because once you're in season, you really should start to take on more of a redraft mentality because it is all about winning the trophy at the end of the year. And whether that means overpaying for a guy in season or, you know, trying to make moves to shore up your roster for the playoff run, that kind of thing. But, you know, you really got to focus on the current season and, you know, be willing to make some sacrifices for that. Yeah, I, I agree that you could, there's a lot of crossover between redraft and dynasty. I know I'm playing everybody, a lot of people play in both leagues and, and, you know, there's some things that kind of, uh, inhibit you, especially during the draft where you in redrafts where you find yourself taking rookies a little bit earlier than expected. But, uh, yeah, you could definitely take dynasty rankings and, and redraft rankings, combine it and find the best strategy for you. Uh, so moving on to our next topic, as far as we're not, like I said, we're not going to talk about specific rookies now. Uh, however, I do want to get your take, how you go about evaluating rookies. And I know for whatever reason, I don't know how it got started or how it escalated to the point that it did, but a big topic in the industry right now is metrics or film and why one is better than the other. And people just destroying other people because they don't believe in one of them. And I, I personally, well, I don't get it. Like, why does it have to be exclusive one or the other? Why can't people do both? And why can't they complement each other? Uh, if you favor one over the other, that's fine, but you shouldn't, you don't have the right to shit on someone who, you know, believes in both. There have been wins and losses for the metrics community, just as there's been wins and losses for the film community. Uh, so uh, I personally think that the, that the, you know, complement each other very well. Uh, I could go over my, how I go, you know, how I evaluate players and I use both, but as far as the metrics versus film debate, where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, I think you make good points. I'm pretty much with you is that using one or the other is not a good way to optimize your decision-making process. And that's really what we're trying to do is just gain, you know, minor edges over the competition here and there. And if you're not taking full advantage of using film, of using metrics, you're, you're losing some of that edge that you can gain by just having additional information. So for me, I certainly use both. I definitely prefer one over the other, which we can talk about. And I put more emphasis on one, but I have a guess. You, <laughs> yeah, I bet you can guess. Yeah, but you know, if you're only using one, you're just losing out on information, and you're making your decision with less information than you could potentially have. So I think you're doing it in a way that hurts your your chances to make the best decision in the long run if you're totally ignoring one. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pegging you as a metrics guy, but oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. So. Uh, for me personally, I know a lot of people don't necessarily know my background, but I am attending uh, Temple University and I'm getting a degree in uh, sports analytics. So as far as the metrics go, that, that I'm very deep in that. Mm -hmm. However, I did also uh, complete a course at the Scouting Academy by Dan Hatman. So uh, I like to say that uh, you know I could wear both hats, but uh, as far as actually going into the evaluation process, um, it starts with me where just getting a list of players. I mean, I, I don't have fucking time to watch film on everybody, on all these draft prospects. And, you know, I don't care who you are. You're going to look at other people's lists and compile your list based off those. And that's what I do. I, I look at a lot of the mocks, a lot of the DLF mocks, some fantasy pros rankings, and, and I'll compile 
uh, not so much an ordered list, but a database. And then when I'll go from that, I'll watch film first because I tend, I try to watch the film of the players before the combine. I don't want to be swayed by metrics when I'm watching film. So that that's pretty specific as far as I go. Um, and then as I watch film, I'll do sort of an initial grading process. Uh, and I learned that from the scouting Academy. And uh, then when the combine comes out and you really can put numbers in there and metrics, and then I'll, I'll go on to like the player profiler sites and, and I'll look at, uh, you know, burst scores and I'll see if what I watched on film, if that properly uh, complements, you know, my thought process, if the burst score, you know, and, and his shuttle time, if that goes with the wide receiver that I thought was crisp on their routes and really created separation, you know, that those things go hand in hand. And then that, I think that just adds to your process that can only solidify your decision-making even more. Uh, so I know you're, you're a metrics guy. Maybe you could, with how I just said that, maybe you could say I'm more of a film guy, but I think I'm close. Maybe I'm 60-40 film over metrics, uh, but I'm, I'm certainly not shitting on the metrics community at all. So as far as a metrics guy, how do you uh, do things differently than me? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say maybe I'm more like 70-30 if we're trying to put percentages on it here. So okay. for me, I start with the metrics. You know, I, I haven't touched film. I I watch some of like the Big Ten football games because I went to Illinois, sure. so I see some of these guys here and there. But you know, I try not to to use that as my evaluation until I really get into actually watching film for the purposes of evaluating the prospects. So I start with metrics, and you know, I look at things that kind of indicate how much the guys were used, how efficient they were, that kind of thing. So. You know, running backs, you look at market share, you look at efficiency, that kind of thing. Wide receivers, target share, reception share, yardage, touchdowns, things like that, relative to their teammates. Uh, and so I start with those things to kind of identify where I think the public or the general community might be higher or lower on a guy that I want to be. And I used to fill mostly to fill in gaps. And so what I mean by that is if there's a guy – the example I use a lot from last year is carry on Johnson. He didn't look that great on paper when you just look at the metrics. Absolutely. And when you watch things on film, you can see kind of why that is. And so you can chalk up some of the inefficiencies to the fact that Auburn had a pretty one-dimensional offense. They didn't really have a strong passing game. And so the defenses were really able to just kind of tune in to carry on Johnson to stop the run game. And he really got dragged down a lot by, taking direct snaps and you know, he's not going to throw the ball. So defenses know what's coming when he takes direct snaps in the wildcat. And so I, his efficiency really kind of tanked because of things like that. And even though he didn't have strong receiving numbers either, those are the kind of things as well. Since Auburn's passing game was so anemic, you can see on film, he looks natural catching the ball, even though maybe he's not putting up the big numbers, you can see certain things that when they're using him in that way, he looks good doing it. But it's another one of those situations where the numbers might not look good from an efficiency standpoint because the defenses can kind of see those things coming. They can sniff it out because they don't have to respect the the deep threats and the receivers as much as they do with other teams. So that's kind of how I use the film. It's not my starting point by any means. I really use it after I've gone through the metrics to fill in gaps or see where the metrics may have missed some things or just not properly accounted for things like schemes, things like how the defenses are adjusting, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, and I and I agree. Like, I, I'm a metrics guy as much as you know the next guy who isn't to the extreme. 
uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, base everything that I have off of, you know, metrics because then you get a Kevin White or, you know, if you want to go on the IDP route, you get a Vernon Goldston, which, you know, still haunts me to this day as a Jets fan. Um, so, yeah, I think the big important takeaway here, um, if you're evaluating rookies, just don't rely on one specifically. Like, keep an open mind. Uh, if you find that one is more useful than the other, then lean on that one. No one's telling you to do otherwise. But you have to be able to, you know, like I said, keep an open mind and and try and, like you said, fill in the holes of, exactly you know what you're missing from one aspect if you're missing something from watching film and and you really want to watch you know just a straight line speed get a metric you know is is his market share which those are the like the non-combine metrics are the are the really important ones in my eyes the market shares the target shares you know separation things like that that's where i really enjoy my metrics because then you you really get that compliment as far as watching the film goes um and, and another thing, like we're both fans of, of dynasty football. We're we were fans before we were hosts, and and I'm still a fan now. I still listen to a ton of podcasts. It's you know my primary source of entertainment and car rides. And my fiance absolutely hates it, but it's it's fun for me and and it's educational for me. So some of the podcasts like Dynasty Nerds is always my go to as far as as soon as they come out, I make sure to listen to them. I think they're great. Uh, and then other sites, um, I love, <clears throat> excuse me, I love player profile, obviously, as far as the metrics goes, but I also love the draft network when it comes to, you know, uh, scouting reports and, and really getting that full scouting academy feel and, and what a player looks like on film. So what are some of the sources that you look for as far as prospect evaluation and, and some of the sites or podcasts that you lean on to, to try and help you evaluate the incoming classes? Yeah, that's the other part that's not mentioned as frequently in the metrics versus film discussion is I also use other analysts. I mean, it's a very yeah. strong community. There are a lot of takes out there. There are a lot of people that evaluate prospects and really evaluate fantasy football in different ways. Uh, so I've definitely listened to Dynasty Nerds plenty in the past. I think they do a nice job. They're, they're more film guys, certainly. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. Yeah, and uh, Player Profiler, the Roto Underworld podcast is kind of the other end of the spectrum, very heavily on the metrics. Yeah. Uh, that's a good source. And then a lot of the other guys that I think are kind of prominent redraft guys, they do touch on some of the offseason stuff. I like Jeff Ratcliffe with Pro Football Focus. Yeah. I think J.J. Zacharyson does a great job with Number Fire. Uh, Elliot Christ, the guy that we had on last yeah, season, great. he's excellent. You know, uh, Definitely more of a film guy from some of the stuff he posts on Twitter, but sure. he does a good job of breaking it down. So I really like his stuff as well. Uh, Marcus Mosier is another film guy that I think does a really nice job, but he certainly respects the metrics as well. So nice balance from him. Uh, you mentioned the draft network. That's a source that I've seen a lot of people using this year. Now the draft breakdowns out, but really you can go on YouTube and just type in the player name versus, and you'll get a lot of clips of them as well. So YouTube, not a bad source as well. If you're looking for film. Yeah, no, YouTube's definitely the best source for film. I mean, if you're in the industry, you may have some sites and databases out there that have some all 22 footage that, you know, we're not, uh, able to access but good on you for that uh youtube is great uh draft network's great all the and the big thing with all the analysts that you just mentioned that you listen to a lot of them aren't you know extremists uh, to one end or the other they all respect the other end of you know the argument if 
if one guy's a film like Elliot's, obviously, I don't think it's, you know, too ignorant to say that he's definitely a film guy. Right. But like you mentioned, he he will bring up the metrics every so often. And same thing, same thing, you know, on the other end, you have the JJ's and, and Marcus Mosher. So uh, it's very important. I think the biggest takeaway here is to just keep an open mind. Please do not lean on one side or the other. Uh, if, if you have questions about how to really diagnose or, or how to analyze film, uh, you could reach out to me. I could try and help. I got a lot, a lot of lessons that I got from the Scouting Academy that I'm carrying over now. It's like my internship with the Philadelphia Soul, and I'm really applying it now, so you could reach out to me. However, if you have questions as far as metrics goes and what certain things mean and how they translate to the field, I think you can reach out to Mark, and, and you'll be able to, I think, define that and help people uh, better than I would, would. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I'm not yeah, too absolutely. proud to say that. No, no, uh, no problem. And then yeah, I think a lot of the metrics, you know, people will just kind of look at raw numbers and it's definitely more meaningful when you look at things on a market share basis to see kind of how frequently they're used relative to their team because, you know, a guy like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, they both played at LSU yeah. together. They had a bad passing offense. So you stack those kind of things on each other, playing with each other, stealing targets, plus the bad offense. Their numbers aren't going to look good. So, there are different ways where you can kind of factor some of those things out. So always happy to talk about that. And you know, other, other people I'm sure have great ideas as well. And I certainly don't have all the answers. So I definitely want it to be a two-way relationship here. If somebody does want to chat about it. Yeah, no, we're, I, I think I speak for you as well. We're open to the conversation. If, if you disagree with the way I analyze players um, and you really want to air it out for whatever reason, I don't think I have any real enemies in the industry, but if you want to to really debate me i mean i'm i'm open to the conversation i i will never turn down the conversation and and i'll hear you out i'll hear anybody out uh but as far as you know the evaluation process and everything like that goes uh, i i got i i've said all i needed to say you have anything that you want to wrap up with or add to it yeah i just feel bad because i realized i left off roster watch that's another great source that i, yes, I use quite yes. a bit i think they do an excellent job as well definitely you know film guys but um that's not a bad thing necessarily. So another good source there. I know probably one that you use more than I do, but uh, they do a really nice job. No, yeah, that's a great site. And I mean, there, there are other podcasts and other sites that I'm sure we're leaving out. Um, there's just too many to list, uh, but you know, they're out there. You know, you follow one guy on Twitter uh, and he's a writer for one site, then I guarantee some other recommended follows will take you to other sites. So Go ahead, find who you want to follow, see what fits your your scheme and your evaluation process, and and you'll be successful, I, I promise. Mm -hmm. But kind of moving on to the free agent class and, and this upcoming year, we're, we're going to do it kind of by position, uh, kind of by team. So first off, let's just dive right into the quarterbacks. And, you know, this quarterback free agency and, and the draft is, is not great. I mean, you're looking at, I guess, Nick Foles as – the, the big name QB, uh, if, you know, and, and we're talking about him going to the Jaguars already, but uh, other than the Jaguars, who do you peg as actually needing a QB? So I think, I mean, everybody probably has the Giants top of mind, so yep. I don't think we really need to say much about that. It's yep. a solid spot for a quarterback to land because they have a lot of pieces around the quarterback. Sure. Uh, but another one that I think is kind of flying under the radar is – the Washington Redskins, uh, a lot of stuff has kind of come out about Alex Smith's injury. It sounds like his status for 2019 season does not look too optimistic at this point. So uh, even you know if he does come back, it, he's aging. Um, 
we've certainly, I think, seen his ceiling in Kansas City, and he was okay last year until he got hurt. But that's a team that doesn't really have a long-term plan, a lot of holes on the offense. I think the quarterback's a big one. So uh, they need to address other positions like wide receiver and tight end as well, I think. But, you know, quarterback, I think that's a kind of a sneaky spot, maybe more for a rookie than a free agent. But if nothing else, they could certainly sign a guy, you know, for a, a one-year rental kind of deal not Flacco at this point, but, you know, a guy like that. So, you know, maybe they'll get Case Keenum or Ryan Tannehill if the Dolphins move on from him uh, that could fill in for this year. So we could be looking at guys that are more applicable in super flex or two quarterback leagues, but that's not a bad spot. I think either for a rookie to land. Yeah. Um, I, I actually didn't even put the Redskins on my list. That's a good take on that. Uh, but you mentioned, I do have the giants on the top of mine. That's self-explanatory. It's definitely the best landing spot spot as far yeah. as any of these quarterbacks go. Uh, me personally, I would. I mean, I'm a Jets fan. I hate the Giants, but I love Teddy Bridgewater. I would love to see him, you know, succeed. I think that'd be a good team for him to go to. But uh, I got the Giants on there. I got the Jaguars. However, I do strongly think that they're going to go ahead and get Foles. And then you had mentioned the Dolphins, and that's who I have as my third team. Uh, and I don't, you know, everybody saw the reports that Tannehill's not going to come back. And with Devontae Parker being a free agent and obviously Landry leaving the beginning of last year, uh, Frank Gore is a free agent. So they got Kenyon Drake and Mike Gazeki. Uh, uh, not a lot there. So they're another team, uh, you know, kind of comparable to the Redskins where, you know, they have their running back. It looks like they're going to lean on Kenyon Drake, just as the Redskins are going to lean on Darius Geis, assuming that he's healthy. But there's not a lot else there. You could even make the argument that the Redskins may even be more talented on the offensive side of the ball with, you know, a Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, Jordan Reed type than the Dolphins. So uh, both those teams need a lot. Um, I think that, you know, uh, Teddy Bridgewater – Maybe even a Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you really want to stop gap, if you're going to go ahead and draft a rookie, uh, maybe viable. Um, Tyrod is out there, but otherwise, I, there you know teams that have the surrounding pieces generally don't need the quarterbacks this year. Uh, the Giants are the only one that really comes to mind. Yeah, the other one that's you know it actually wasn't even on my list, but you just said Tyrod, and one of the things I've been really hoping for this offseason is that Tyrod signs with the Patriots. Um, mm. That's not a bad spot if one of these younger free agents signs with the Patriots. I know Brady says he's going to play till 45. I doubt that personally. You know, we'll see. I think maybe another year. It seems like we've been saying this forever, though. But I think maybe another year. We definitely saw him decline this year. Uh, the numbers were not as good as they used to be. And I think the eye test kind of bears that out, too. But, yeah, you know, Tyrod's got, I think, plenty of years left in him. And so if he signs with New England – or even if they draft a guy, you know, that I think that's not a bad spot for a quarterback either. No, that's a solid spot. And, and you know, I love Tyrod. Um, I had him as starting all 16 games last year for the Browns, my bull prediction. That was way <laughs> off. Uh, but so. it wasn't, wasn't necessarily due to performance. Uh, he did get hurt in that game, and Baker kind of wally pipped him. But uh, I do – I don't mind that. I like Ty, or Tyrod as far as fantasy purposes to the Patriots. In my – you know, I've done some early mock drafts on my own, and – I kind of have Kyler Murray falling out of the top 10. And if that happens, I think the Patriots are going to try and make a move and draft him. Um, I think that that offense surprisingly fits Kyler Murray well, especially if you look at early Tom Brady and how he kind of 
was a game manager of sorts with a lot of checkdowns and screens. And I think that's right off Kyler Murray's uh, alley. So um, similar quarterbacks in, in that aspect. Uh, I'm actually a lot farther down on Kyler Murray than the community, but that's for the draft pod. Uh, moving on to running backs. Uh, I think this is a lot more fun to talk about than the quarterbacks uh, and, and the quarterback needy teams. But besides, if we, if we were talking about the draft, I would say that none of these teams should draft any running backs early. Uh, I think that goes without saying. I think the community agrees as a whole that no running back should really go in the first round of uh, NFL drafts unless it's Saquon Barkley. But uh, one of the teams that came to mind first for me are the Ravens. And I don't know if you have them on your list or not, but oh, yeah. okay, good. So yeah, I think they got to build around Lamar. They already have a solid defense. So they're definitely looking at skill players to fill around uh, him. Um, and then with, you know, you look at that depth chart with Alex Collins, Gus free Edward, agent, free agent, yeah, Tymont, free agent, and Buck Allen. So, I don't know about Buck, but I, they also think, have Kenneth Dixon. And, okay, and Kenneth Dixon, true. Yeah, and I think uh, Dixon is the only one that I know for sure is not a free agent. Yeah, so that's nothing. That's You're looking at, uh, and, and I don't think the free agent class for running backs, I mean, they're not going to go ahead and get a love bell. No. It, it's almost a foregone conclusion that it looks like he's going to the Jets, whatever. Um, but uh, that's definitely the team that was on top of my list. Yeah, they were one of my top two as well. The other one my number one team for a running back being Houston. Um, okay. Lamar Miller's good, but not great. And so I think as he continues to either approach or pass the age apex, whether he's actually there or not, he certainly looks like it, uh, kind of depending on how you feel about him. But I think he's starting to slow down. So I would not be surprised if Houston made a move for a running back because we really haven't seen anything out of Deontay Foreman yet. And he was really kind of a one-dimensional guy at Texas. A very impressive resume, but he's one of those guys that when you see things on film, uh, that's kind of where it maybe bumps him down a little bit. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's one of their bigger needs on the team offensively, at least. Obviously, tight end being another one, which we might touch on later. But I would not be too surprised if Houston made a move at running back to either add some depth for now or if they really just decide to move on from Lamar Miller. that that would be a solid spot, you know. Obviously, very strong offense and a lot of other good pieces in place, so could be a very productive spot. Yeah, uh, I haven't really predicted anybody going there. I think that the Texans are going to end up keeping Lamar, but if they do move on to him and they want to play a, a two running back role with Deonta Foreman as that big bruiser, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go after someone cheaper like a Blau Powell or maybe a you know a TJ Yeldon or. A, something like that, a back who could come out of the backfield and third down and catch the ball, and it's good blocking. And that's not a terrible one-two punch, but the other team that I had, um, other than the Ravens, and I maybe I'm sure I'm going to disagree because they have a former number one rookie pick, uh, is the Bucks, And I don't think that Bruce Arians is going to get Rojo going. Um, I've always been very, very low on him. Yep. And then Pey- I'm not a- Peyton Barber's not a thing. Um, so I think that, uh, granted, they need a lot of secondary help. So I, I, I don't know what their cap situation is, but I think they're going to go ahead and, and tackle the defense first and foremost, especially, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sec- the safeties and, and the corners. Vernon Hargraves is terrible. But uh, they, they need someone 
to, to help Jameis back there. There's no threat of a run. Um, so, so teams don't have to, to never have to worry about it. It was a one dimensional team last year. I think that they really have to kind of look at someone like a, well, there's really not a lot of free agents out there. Like I'm, I'm big on TJ Yeldon. I wouldn't mind seeing TJ Yeldon go uh, to Tampa. I think that'd be a great fit. Yeah, actually, Tampa was on my list too, which okay. the general public might not have thought, but I had exactly the same reasoning as you. There's, there's really not much there, and most of that's because we were both very low on Ronald Jones. Yeah. Uh, so I will go to another one that I had as a backup option here. Oakland, I think, is not a bad spot either. Uh, their depth chart currently consists of Marshawn Lynch, Doug Martin, Jalen Richard, and DeAndre Washington, if I remember correctly. I don't even know if he's still there, but... Uh, it's it's thin. Let's just leave it at that. And they have a lot of holes on offense, so it's probably going to be one of those situations where you could see a guy come in and be, you know, a heavy volume guy, low efficiency. Uh, but if they do start to continue drives and get down in the scoring zone, I think we could definitely see startable production out of a guy that goes to Oakland uh, if he gets enough volume there. Yeah, I think that's the rough spot. I don't think a lot of people really want to go to Oakland and play there right now. No, I would agree, and. Yeah. It's definitely not going to be, I think, one of the more fantasy-friendly offenses. But no. it's just they lack weapons in such a bad way that it could be a lot like we saw with LaShawn McCoy a year ago uh, sure. in Buffalo, that there's really just no other options. So it's certainly possible to have, I think, a productive fantasy asset in running back there. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, and going from one uh, fantasy, one offense that's not going to be fantasy-relevant to two that I think are extremely fantasy-relevant that could be good landing spots for running backs, I think the Saints losing Mark Ingram. Uh, I, you know, after Kamara, there's Daniel Lasco and Dwayne Washington. So I think they're going to be looking for that bruiser role. I don't think Lasco's really going to fill that. And then the Chiefs running back situation really depends on where you stand on Damian Williams. I'm higher on Damian Williams than a lot, mainly because I had him in most of my leagues last year. So he kind of bailed me out come playoff time. But uh, obviously, Hunt went to the Browns, which. Uh, is a whole nother conversation in its own. And then uh, Spencer Ware is a free agent. So not a lot of depth there. I don't think they'll make it a priority to go out and get a running back. It may be one of the, one, you know, a third or fourth round draft pick. But wherever lands there is certainly someone that you're going to want to have in your fantasy radar. Yeah, and the other ones I had on my list, I think that's a good point. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said. I didn't have them on my list because I don't see, especially the Saints, as – you know, I don't see it as much of a 50-50 split. I think Kamara is going to take over more of the touches, but we, it's certainly a, a possibility, so we shouldn't discount them. I had the Jets as well for an obvious reason, and then I had Buffalo just because LaShawn McCoy is getting old, and they really don't have anything behind him, so that could be another volume situation if the offense does improve. It's possible. Yeah, I, I skipped over the Jets because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. However, I do have the Jets in our next section of – Wide receiver. Uh, yep. So the, them and the 49ers are my top two. Uh, as far as the Jets go, yeah, they re-signed Quincy and Nunwa, But Robbie is a restricted free agent, and there's really no one after Robbie Anderson. Everybody knows I hate Robbie Anderson, but they got to get a, a body in there. Um, unfortunately, this wide receiving class is, is not great. Uh, I think a lot of uh, sites had Golden Tate as the top free agent wide receiver, which is uh, too bad, or Randall Cobb or – Dante Moncrief, it's just not a great class, but um, someone to help Darnold kind of mature, I think would be good. I think a Golden Tate 
uh, would be good, uh, especially if they're going to put a Nunwa on the outside. You put a Nunwa and Robbie Anderson on the outside. You put Golden Tate in the slot. Uh, Chris Herndon's turning out to be a very, very good dynasty tight end asset. So that's not a, you know the the best wide receiving core, but it's not certainly not the worst. And then you jump to the 49ers and you know everybody's kind of speculating that Antonio Brown's going to be traded there. Any wide receiver that goes there with the Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Kyle Shanahan offense where you are literally the only wide receiver on the depth chart since Pierre Garçon is a free agent, uh, that's going to be a, a great landing spot as well. Yep, I like both of those calls. Uh, I didn't have either one on my list, to be honest okay. with you, but uh, I think they're both good calls for good reasons. The, the two that I had as my premier options were the Patriots, and nice. that's because basically the entire wide receiver group is free agents this year. Yeah, so I, I had them next as far as. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, Chris Hogan, uh, Cordell Patterson, Philip Dorsett. Uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> basically the entire group except Julian Edelman is, yeah. is headed to free agency. So we'll see if they re-sign anybody. But there, I think, are certainly plenty of targets to be had in New England. And there's obviously the possibility that Gronkowski hangs it up. Sure. So a lot of potential targets to go around there if it's just Julian Edelman and James White, basically. Yeah. Um, so very good spot there, I think, for a receiver to land. And the other one I have is Cleveland. And that's yeah. mostly because outside of Joku and Jarvis Landry, they're pretty much hurting, I think, for pass catchers. Uh, they've got Duke Johnson, who they always underutilize. Nick Chubb was a little more active in the passing game than I think some expected. Um, I thought you know he was going to be a good pass catcher, but we'll see what it looks like next year. But Antonio Callaway kind of disappointed. Josh Gordon has obviously moved on from the team, so there's kind of a void there that I think somebody could step in and fill, and I think there are going to be some targets to go around. And Obviously, we both love Baker Mayfield, so yeah. uh, I would expect that offense to take another step forward next year. So I think that could be a solid spot for a receiver as well. Yeah, I didn't put the Browns because, again, in one of my early mocks, I actually have them going after DK Metcalf. So Right. Uh, I mean, it could be a rookie either. Yeah, exactly. And, and oddly enough, my comp for DK Metcalf is Josh Gordon. So <laughs> nice. uh, kind, of, kind of a perfect fit there. Yep. Uh, I agree with you as far as the Patriots. I, I don't think that they'll make it a priority. You never know who the Patriots are going to make a priority to go out and get. Uh, but, yeah, they do have a ton of free agents. I think Braxton Berrios is one of the – the better wide receivers that's still on the team, um, I guess, if you want to call it that. But uh, James White, uh, Julian Edelman, so yeah. And then the last team that I kind of have on there as far as a, I think would be a good spot, however, the Lions won't – or the team won't make it a priority, is the Lions. And, yes, they still have Marvin Jones. Yes, they still have Kenny Galladay. But I think that they missed out on Golden Tate a, a lot more than they realized once they let him go, once he traded him to Philadelphia. And uh, that slot guy uh, is, is really a difference maker in that offense. Um, with carry on now, they could be a two-dimensional team uh, now that they have a running threat. So I, I could see them going after uh, not quite a Randall Cobb. I think Randall Cobb might cost too much money. But one of these slot guys, like uh, not Tavon Austin, but um, uh, a Chris Hogan, I think if you, put, if you put Marvin Jones in the slot and you put Chris Hogan on the outside with, with Kenny Galladay, I think that's a solid – uh, wide receiving core, but um, I'm also in love with Matt Stafford, so kind of biased as far as the Lions wide receiving core goes. Yeah, and that's not a bad spot. The reason I didn't put them is because they're one of my top options for 
tight end needy teams. Okay. Uh, so I don't think they'll really pursue both heavily. I just lean, lean towards the tight end. But if they don't do that, yeah, certainly a good spot for a receiver. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, good segue. Um, I actually don't have them uh, on my top two as far as tight end lists, even though you know it's with all the media reports and, and the quotes from upper management on that team, it's clear that they need one, and I think that they'll definitely be drafting one. Uh, the, the, the tight end class in this year's draft is very, very good. <clears throat> Excuse me, very, very good. Um, but my first team as far as tight ends go, are the Saints. And you look at, especially fantasy-friendly, uh, Benjamin Watson, besides the fact that he's a free agent, he's also 38. So um, so now know, it's Josh Hill. Jo- and that's exactly my point. Uh, Josh Hill <laughs> is not going to be fantasy-viable. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, talent as far as tight end free agents go. I mean, Charles Clay is a, is a newfound. Actually, Charles Clay is, uh, got signed by Arizona uh, yep. a day after Buffalo released him. So... You, you kind of look at Ricky Seals-Jones as being a possible option. And then after that, Tyler Eifert, if you want to take the chance on him being healthy. Jared Cook is coming off of a very, very good year. Uh, there's a couple others, you know, Demetrius Harris, uh, Austin Severin Jenkins. But I think the Saints are going to end up drafting um, one of these Iowa tight ends. I would love to see TJ Hawkinson go, go there in the late first. I think he's a monster. Uh, and then the other team that I have is the Jaguars, but – I mean, we had mentioned them a little bit earlier before. There's just not a lot of skill players there. So they need a lot on the offensive side of the ball, tight end being one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think as we talk about tight ends, especially it's probably going to be more that we want to see rookies go there than free agents. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like the quarterback class, it's pretty weak. Uh, So for me as well, I I did have Detroit that we talked about. I had the Saints. I had the Jags. Uh, A couple other teams that I think would be decent spots. New England, obviously, if Gronk hangs it up. And then my my other two big ones were Houston and Seattle. Uh, Houston, obviously, doesn't really have a strong tight end option, although I think the biggest question about that is if they have all three wide receivers healthy and Hopkins, Fuller, and QT next year, how many targets would really be available? So I think that's maybe a longer-term play. If they draft a guy, maybe it takes a year or two to develop and they move on from one of the receivers. but it's definitely a team that has snaps available, targets available at the tight end position. Seattle, I think, is the more interesting one from a fantasy perspective because they have an aging Doug Baldwin as their top receiver. They have mostly a one-dimensional field stretcher, Tyler Lockett. And beyond that, there's really not too much in the way of pass catchers. Their running backs aren't really strong receivers uh, outside of, I think, Rashad Penny is, but we'll see how much they use him. So. You know, beyond that, there there are a lot of targets that can go around in Seattle, and um, we'll see if they move towards the passing game a little more. But Russell Wilson has trended up in pass attempts most of his career, uh, despite Seattle generally being a pretty run-heavy team. So I'd like to see them take a step forward in the passing game. I'd like to see them lean more heavily on it because they do have a really, really good quarterback in Russell Wilson. Uh, and definitely targets are available and – when and if they move on from Doug Baldwin or he retires or whatever, uh, they don't really have much after that. So definitely could be an option where a tight end could get fed with targets a la Evan Ingram, especially if they have an injury occur to Baldwin or Lockett or somebody in the course of the season. Yeah, uh, I agree on everything you said about Seattle, and I love the Texans take. Um, I actually have – so the fourth team that I had, I also, I also had the Patriots, um, you know, assuming Gronk retires – uh, all they have behind him is Dwayne Allen. 
But I also have the Packers on there. Jimmy Graham's getting old. He's broken. Lance Kendricks, Mercedes Lewis are both free agents. So they're going to need something there. And I think that, uh, especially for the Texans, I think if Tyler Eifert is coming on a cheap deal, just because teams are going to be scared of his injury history, and if he does get hurt, especially with the Texans, you're not really relying on him for all those targets like you had mentioned. You have three very viable wide receivers there uh, where you're not going to need you know, a, a tight end to be your, your second best receiver. Uh, so I think Tyler Eifert could be good in Houston. Uh, I think the Packers need to get some depth there. So I'm sure they'll go after someone like a Austin Safarian Jenkins to, to go behind Jimmy Graham. But other than that, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I think free agency is pretty boring this year. Running back's really the most interesting part of it. Last year, much better year. You know, we saw a strong receiver class, strong quarterback class. And um, this year, I think the draft is going to be much more interesting relative to free agency. Last year, it was kind of the reverse. The free agents were strong. The draft was so-so eh, in a lot of ways. So I think we're going to see it turn around. So I'm sure a lot of folks are looking towards forwards to the draft coverage. I am too. Uh, we still got a lot of work to do on that. And uh, obviously, there are a lot of good prospects that I'm hearing a lot of buzz about already. So people are getting excited early. I love that. That's good for Dynasty. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There, obviously, that that picture of DK Metcalf kind of <laughs> really nuts. kind of really started the uh, the the roller coaster of rookie hype. Um, I still I'm not fully convinced that that wasn't photoshopped. I've never seen that before. Uh, kind of reminds me of uh, I don't know if you remember the old school David Boston picture that came out when he was being um, drafted, but he looks very similar. Uh, but I do love the rookie hype. I do think free agency is kind of going to let some people down. Um, obviously, we're expecting a trade from the Steelers with Antonio Brown. He's probably going to go to the 49ers. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is by far the biggest name out there. A lot of people are speculating him to the Jets. I personally think that that's going to happen. I hope he doesn't go to the Colts uh, for fantasy purposes because I think the Colts are fine at running back. I think they have a great running game. Uh, and they have the money they could go out. Uh, and we don't cover defensive players here, but there's a lot of defensive free agents that the Colts can go out and get. And uh, I'm going to put some early money on them to win the AFC this year. Yeah, that can be a scary defense without too much work. I mean, they're, exactly. they're very close, and they yeah. have a ton of cap space to make moves there. Yeah, they have over $100 million in, yeah. a, in cap space, leads the league by far. I mean, the, uh, the Jets are second. I think they have 91, uh, something like that. But... I could see the Colts going out, getting someone like a Cam Wake or or a, a Chandler Jones, I, th I believe, is a free agent, and and tacking on some secondary help, Darius Leonard in the middle. But this isn't an IDP podcast, so we won't get into that. <laughs> True. Uh, but uh, looking forward, you know, we're next week and the weeks after that, we're going to try and tackle the free agent classes uh, kind of by position. Um, we're going to do QBs and tight ends next week. Or next episode, maybe less than a week from now. Uh, maybe sometime in the middle of this coming week. So QBs and tight ends there, followed by uh, wide receivers. And then maybe we'll cap it off with what we both agree is the most interesting positional group with the running backs. Yep, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, by then we'll hear rumors and, and kind of speculate where people are going to go. After free agency opens on, I believe it is March 13th, uh, we'll have an episode to kind of recap that, kind of talk about, some of our favorite landing spots, some that we don't so much like. 
then we're going to dive right into the rookies. And that's my personal uh, favorite um, aspect is, is kind of watching the film or the metrics and uh, debating on rookies, getting some mock drafts going between, you know, you, I, and maybe some guests that we'll have on and kind of, kind of talking about that and, and going with our evaluation process and, and seeing everything that comes with the, the rookie class. Yeah, dude, I'm definitely looking forward to the rookies, too. That's obviously the best part. Uh, we put so much time into it, and then it's kind of over in the span of maybe a few hours or a few days, depending on how your league does your rookie draft. So yeah. uh, definitely looking forward to it. It's it's one of my favorite parts of Dynasty football is going through all this because there are just so many players. And you know, I, I look back at some of the guys we talked about last year and some of the guys I was excited about, and they've literally never even surfaced on an NFL roster. So Yeah, that's generally how it works. Yeah, you know, we go deep, and it's fun to just kind of dig up some of these guys. Like, I remember Alan Lazard before yeah. the draft Before the draft was in my top ten receivers. Uh, I still think there was a, a big miss on him by the NFL as a whole. Um, but obviously, when he went undrafted, that bumped him way down. So I think my biggest miss of my dynasty career was Storm Johnson. I was very, very high on Storm Johnson, and I do not know where Storm Johnson is anymore. So... Uh, very big miss on that, but that's going to happen, and you learn from that, and you get better. So, yeah, you're bound to miss on players when we exactly. evaluate the volume of guys that we do. So, exactly. just trust the process. You know, try to be right more often than you're wrong, and you'll come out ahead. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned before, we're making the switch over to Gridiron Experts. You can find uh, the pod. You know, Mark's going to go ahead and post that. I'll retweet it. So, if you're following us, you could uh, find that. Um, we'll keep everybody posted as far as the transition goes and our articles, our news, our podcast, and moving over from the FF Dynasty 260 family to the uh, Gridiron Experts family. As always, if you want us to talk about something specific, you let us know. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, you let us know. I know we got a, a short little list of people that want to come on, and uh, we're more than happy to have anybody on to, to banter and bullshit. Uh, but until then, uh, Mark, it was it was great to come back on the show and, and to talk uh, rookies and free agents and just football as a whole. So I, I do miss it. I promise that I will uh, shift life around to make this happen, <laughs> to make this happen more often. But, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It was, dude. I feel so alive right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's not often that you could, you know, bullshit with, uh, with people, you know, you could talk with anybody about football really, but there are a select few people that you could really, talk to on on a level as deep as a lot of the analysts go so when you get into an in-depth conversation like that it's it's a lot of fun and, it, and it's it's uh leaving it, it, it feels good agree agree there are not that many people out there that we can go out and just say oh yeah i think the redskins might be a good spot for a free agent quarterback <laughs> like most people just don't don't think like this so it, it's good and we did go the whole episode i tried to not make any robert Kraft jokes if uh, you've probably seen every Robert Kraft joke, I promise you, if you've thought of one, you aren't the first to think of it. Uh, I know you're a Patriots fan. Quick take I, on that. Well, I don't think he gets any fantasy points for it. So. <laughs> True. Uh, I personally, you know, I, you know what? This is a fantasy podcast. Not going to get into it. <laughs> stop myself right here. Uh, if you want to get your Robert Kraft news, go on Twitter. I guarantee he's the top five trending things in the sports world right now. So uh, you go ahead and 
get that there. And yeah, you got to choose between Robert Kraft and Zion Shue. So yeah, it's fun, it's fun real, news cycle. Real entertaining in, in new sports right now. But uh, that's about it, Mark. Um, we'll talk offline. Try and get another episode lined up soon. But uh, as always, reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, leave a rate and review, and uh, get to you guys next week.